you want to do this one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. <clears throat> Just blah, 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 blah. <laughs> hey, everyone, and welcome to the Just Pick Something podcast, where we talk about any and every movie, TV show, and series that you can think of. New releases, old releases, in theaters, at home, on DVD, or on streaming. I'm Franco, and I'm here with Jakes. And this episode, we're going to talk about The Last Duel, released in 2021, directed by Ridley Scott. Starring Matt Damon, Adam Driver, and Jodie Comer. And at the time of this episode's uh, release, it can be streamed on HBO Max. And before we start, I do want to acknowledge that this movie does contain adult content, language, violence, and depictions of sexual assault. So be advised, understand that that is something that we will discuss, and we will go into into further detail as we discuss this film. Yeah. That might be a subject that they're not comfortable seeing on screen. I would also add that we are two, I wouldn't say young, but, you know. Mid-20s. Mid-20 males, uh, straight males. That uh... <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, this movie was based off a book, which I was kind of surprised. Because I really thought this was just a historical film based on, you know, history. Because The Last Duel has a lot of depictions of, I guess, the brutality and a de-glamorization of a medieval society. Like, this movie really depicts the Dark Ages as really dark and fraught with constant trouble for a, I guess, lower-class, middle-class person in medieval society. It sucked for anyone living in this time period. And this movie does not shy away from depicting any of that. Yeah, it's very interesting to see how that that none of them are of like a lower, lower status, but it's very clear that none of them are of high status and how that still that conflict of money is such a huge thing in it. It is very interesting to see like how, how, how bad it was, even when you were someone of even a, just like a slightly elevated status. So first of all, I did like this movie. I had no idea of what this movie was going to be about. The only thing I knew about this movie beforehand was Ridley Scott directed a new movie that features Ben Affleck and what some people call a questionable choice for a wig and beard <laughs> and some pretty brutal fight scenes that revolve um, time period accurate swordplay, sword fights. And that's pretty much it. I had no idea of the structure or anything that like would spoil the movie or what this movie was about. And when I saw Adam Driver on the cast list, I was kind of excited because I really like Adam Driver as an actor. I usually find him in the roles he chooses pretty interesting. And his portrayal of, I want I hope I don't butcher this, Jacques, Jacques Legris? Jacques Legris? I'm not going to pretend like I know. I think, it, I, <laughs> I don't know how they pronounce it in the movie. I think it was Jacques. Yeah, Legris, I guess, since everyone calls each other by their last names, which was another thing I loved about this movie, the way they constantly were just saying, Le Courreau or Le Gris or Marguerite. The names were great in this movie. But yeah, I really liked Adam Driver in this movie. And as I was watching it, I was kind of pleasantly surprised how much I was enjoying this movie. Even with the, I guess, tone shift as it went on, it felt almost like a slow horror movie in a way, you know? Interesting. So I came into it, I knew about the structure, which was is a huge, I would say it's a huge advantage when coming to look at a movie to dissect it. For this one particular, like knowing what they're trying to do, mm. because I went into it knowing that they're going to do, okay, this is the three different people's perspectives and you're going to watch them throughout the whole entire film. So I was like, okay, so you guys had cut away at this point and you guys specifically framed this character doing this in this shot. I wonder how that's going to translate throughout the film. 
because I know that we're going to see it from this character's point of view. So it was interesting because I knew what I was getting into in regards to this. To speak on, you were talking about Adam Driver. I, I agree Adam Driver was phenomenal in this. I would also like to mention that Matt Damon surprised me a lot in this film too. Agreed, yeah. He had a pretty strong performance. I haven't liked much of Matt Damon's work in the last few years. Not for any particular reason. I just think he's fine. But in this movie, I thought he was pretty good. Yeah, no, he was he was really good. I think for the most part, I think across the board, I I don't have any complaints with any of the actors or any of their. Oh, everyone was solid. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I would say that uh, despite the fact that Ben Affleck looks weird in his wig, um, it's probably accurate to how dumb the guy looked in real life. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, like, it's it's hard to say it was dumb for the time period, right? Because historical fashion and you know hairstyles and stuff were of the time, but. I guess now it's more just that I associate Ben Affleck with a particular hair color and hairstyle. That seeing a very specific styled wig on him was kind of unusual, yeah. you know. It's also key to note that this—I think this is—I'm not 100% sure, so people shouldn't shouldn't quote me. I want to say this is the first movie that Ben Affleck and Matt Damon have written together since uh, Good Will Hunting. Really, I had no idea they actually worked on the screenplay together. Yeah, so. Interesting to know, just because they haven't made a movie together and uh, well, they haven't written a movie together in forever, uh, seemingly, that this would be the movie that they're doing. And the subject matter that they chose to discuss is certainly an interesting one. <laughs> <laughs> it was, like I mentioned, if this whole movie felt like a slow horror movie, as the first chapter kind of led me to believe that this was going to be a movie about Kuro kind of finding his honor and fighting against the system, like, you know, like a classic medieval tale and then as it switches perspective to adam driver's character legris i was like oh hey that's pretty interesting they're showing two sides of a conflict right especially because that first introductory scene we see you know jody comer's character and then the whole spectacle of the audience lining up or watching from the trees and the stands to this huge battle between these knights this movie feels like it's leading you one direction with this expectation of all the medieval movies that have come out before it, right? Including, I think, one of Ridley Scott's earlier works. And then when chapter three happens and we get the perspective of the main female character and Jodie Comer's whole perspective, it kind of just flips it. And this whole movie, to me, became, instead of a movie about the medieval knights and like what it is to be honorable and just in a society that follows its religious teachings just became like a horror movie about like what it means to be a, you know, dehumanized person of objectification in a society that gives you no rights to the point where I think at one point in the movie, they allude to a woman essentially being like a stallion that's used to breed and currency and money, status and wealth. That's pretty fucked up. You know, no, yeah, it's it's pretty messed up, especially because it's like, uh, in that specific regard, it was. I thought it was interesting that in her act, made a very clear move to have her associated with the horse because they had made the the statement in the previous act that oh, this is an act or a, a thing against her. It doesn't matter what what she says at this point. It's the complaint is ultimately against the husband, and it's a thing of property, and that's ultimately what the legal standing is. And I'm like, yo, this is terrible. You guys are like talking about like this woman got raped, and you're like, okay, but in reality, the husband who was was who was wronged in the situation. Yeah, it's a very dark film. I felt very like sad and just empathetic or sympathetic towards Marguerite because. Like you said, man, everything is just 
against her in the fact that she doesn't have any rights. She her pregnancy and, you know, all the kind of like fucked up <laughs> implications of uh, what it m- meant to be just a woman in a like rigid class structure where you're just stuck in this prison of societal norms that you have no say in. She's judged by men, wedded off by men, sent to death or salvation by men. It's just kind of a sad reminder of yeah, things. The, yeah, the issue with me while I was watching this film was, oh man, I was, I was like, this, these sim, there are similar arguments and things said to this day when people come up with these accusations. Like, oh, well, you can't really, you know, this doesn't happen unless you're 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 attracted to this person or you said you were this or you know i'm like you know everything that you would place into this archaic system we still sometimes hear and there are people there are very loud mouthpieces that don't know how women's reproductive uh organs work so it's one of those things where it's like i can't believe that i'm watching a movie that's supposed to be set in the dark ages and i'm hearing an argument that i swear i've heard on you know last week in the news or something <laughs> yeah it's just way too many news stations and or youtube channels or comment sections i'm like i yeah, the, the... <laughs> which is this is why which is why i think it's interesting that they chose to make like the nicole hall of i don't know uh, one of the scheme screenplay per- writers nicole Hoffinser and then ben affleck and matt damon that they decided to come out with this movie now because it seems incredibly topical topical yes as like regardless of the fact that it came that it's a story that happened hundreds of years years ago it's one of those things where it's like oh my god like the fact the fact that we just yeah it is it is very much i didn't i was not comfortable <laughs> with a lot of the stuff that was going on in this film yeah and it makes the the poster almost clever or just well constructed where it has marguerite in the center in the middle of the poster and the men behind her because this is basically her story but from the perspective of men and it adds to the you know the messed up treatment of her character and women in general in this movie and society at large in the context of the dark ages and also the topical nature of it current day right this movie was more clever than I expected it to be. And that's why I partly like it more than I thought it was going to. Because not to harsh on really Scott, but I haven't really liked some of his movies ever since I, his early work. But I got to give to him. This one was pretty good. Yeah, no, it was. I've, I haven't watched a lot of his films in recent years, so I'm not going to I can't speak to the quality of his work. But it was I yeah, I have to give a lot of credit to how they did this film because one of the things I was thinking about while watching it, again, because I have, unlike you, I had the the knowledge that there was the three acts uh, regarding different perspective, was that they made the intentional decision to place her act last. Which was, I think, a really good choice. I say that, and I say that in the sense where it's, as viewers, it's like, oh, okay, we're going to reveal that, like, you know, the, the movie takes its time to reveal the truth that it presents. And, but it's important also as, like, outside of it, it's it's kind of a, a narrative that it's being said like, oh, in the film, what's going to happen is you're going to hear this story of this woman getting raped. But the perspectives that we have put the most weight on as a film to put first was the men's perspective. You're not going to hear the woman's perspective until the end. And it's kind of how we still deal with that, those kinds of stories where it's like, oh, you know, there's a lot of times where we don't pay attention to the woman's side of the story and belittle it. 
the point where it's like, oh no, but like, what are the men's side of the story to this? And then yeah, it's like it's like focusing on the abuser and not the victim. Yeah, yeah, because like you were saying, you were talking about you thought it was a story about Jean, right? And his, and his journey of having to deal with these like transgressions done against him, him being this like war hero and like someone who has to continue to fight for his like ability to live, and then this other guy, these other men machinations behind him that are like messing up his life. And it's like, yeah. oh, you're led to believe this is a, his story and he's important. But in reality, to the, to the grand scheme of things, the the story that we're trying to that, that they're trying to tell here is Marguerite. I'm going to refer to her as Jody's character because Jody is much easier for me to say than Marguerite right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jody Comer's character where I the the central conflict is actually about her, despite what these other characters want to tell you it is. Because Jean, despite claiming that he cares about his wife, it's very clear that a lot of this does come down to the personal transgressions done against him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There was even that, like, dramatic confrontation after her, like, messed up trial of she very confidently and almost guaranteed dangerously confronts her husband, Jean, and is just like, you didn't tell me that the result of this was going to be death by fire and now that i have a child my you know willingness to participate in this has shifted because you know there's more to lose at stake than just my name and reputation severe consequences are to be had and to her point it's all down to his just ego and pride yeah because yeah for him it was about his ego his pride for jacques it's about like oh this like love this forbidden love that i have for this woman and how honestly delusional love right delusional yeah absolutely delusional and but then you don't get that either of these stories these narratives are just giving you like background information effectively on like why her story happens the way it does and why those small details do matter but ultimately you know we again we start off with with jean and it's like well, do you um do you actually want to talk about uh, John in the in the context of chapter one? Sure. Let's yeah, let's do that. We cannot just sit here. John, we were ordered by Pierre to hold this bridge. Orders be damned for the king. Okay, so John, right in his chapter, I'm going to try to see if I can summarize it myself. Is vet effectively a veteran? He's been in yeah. war. He's lost his wife his previous wife and child to uh the plague and he is a perpetual like a perpetual soldier basically because of like wealth and status but also like hardship right and he has a conflict with another soldier another squire uh which is jacques and someone he thought he had saved the life of or he perceives he had saved the life of thinking hey we're friends and we have each other's backs and all this stuff and i saved your life and all this stuff and he's like oh but in reality everything that seems to be happening you have found a way screwed me over like you are getting stuff that was promised to me and you have stolen the rights of my rights and have humiliated me in some in certain ways he took his property his like reputation his status his class basically just one upped him on everything through just politics, and that really pissed them off. Yeah, it was it was to the point where, for me personally, I was getting mad. I was like, "Man, I hate Ben Affleck's character, Adam Driver's character. I I hate these guys." 
they're terrible. They did a really good job of framing John's whole entire arc in the first act as like this guy where you just have so much sympathy for this dude. Yeah. At this point, I was like, yeah, fuck Jacques. Fuck him. He, you need to like take your shit that's rightfully owed to you, even though you start to get whispers or like ideas that not everything is as it seems. I was all behind John and I was like, yeah, you need to take this guy out. I hope you win the duel. Yeah, it was even it was funny because it was even like I was watching them have their conversations during his act. And I was like, but honest, again, this is from John's perspective. He doesn't make Jacques himself come off as like a terrible guy, but he does make him unwilling to do anything about it where it's like. Jacques isn't actively like in, in his in his perspective, he's like Jacques isn't actively doing anything malicious, but he's not stopping the people who are wronging me. Mm -hmm. And because of the perspective of chapter one being Jean's point of view, you can it's almost like Jean sees Jacques as this ignorant child of doesn't know how the world works and all his you know victories of wealth and status and political power come at just what seems to jean almost as coincidence or luck or the god's favor and to him he feels like he's been wronged or slighted against what should rightfully be his from his perspective you know by the end of it when his wife reveals like oh i've been raped and there's that whole entire conflict at the end i'm like man like this man has had property, glory, honor, everything stripped away from him. And now this man comes into his house and he rapes his wife while he's sick and tired and come, just came out from war. And I'm like, man, this guy has... I was like, this is like a tragedy. This man, like, everything that has happened to this man is like... I can't imagine how he's planning on trying to, like, fix everything and whether or not things do get fixed for him. So it was a very interesting thing going into the second act where... I, I was just a hundred percent for this character and trying to see. And when I, when you, you know, when you see that the second act revolves around Jacques, it's like, what could you possibly do to reframe, to like reframe this, to like make it where I don't like, I like, I can understand why both parties in this conflict. I'll be honest. The second act does not help Jacques in the slightest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh no, it doesn't. To hold this bridge. Orders be damned. They're baiting you, Jacques. They want us to leave the bridge so they can take Limoges. <laughs> They make them have their way! My son is a fool, let him go! If he goes alone, he will die. In the second act, or chapter two, his Jacques' perspective, and where I was initially going going into it expecting his side of things where he's the victor and stuff, because it's his perspective, I mean, technically, from his point of view, he is the one that has been wronged and, like, slighted, and everything that he's doing is correct and just but because we are the audience it's really clear to us that this dude's an asshole and he's essentially the villain and we just get to see all his villainous ways right especially when we get to his delusions and we get that scene earlier in chapter two where we get to see how he interacts with women around the count and it's almost like this game where they play like oh i'm gonna get you you know and it's Almost like it's all part of the tradition of the, the way that these counts are supposed to behave. And then we get chapter three and we see that not only is this dude delusional, it is very grim and very serious. And this guy sucks. I, I would say the way that the second, uh, the second chapter frames things in regards to the first chapter was interesting because for one, uh, Matt Damon's character, Jean, 
one of the big things was like, oh, I'm a war hero and I saved this dude's life and yet all this stuff is happening to me. These people don't respect me, yada, yada. And in Jacques' side of the uh, point of view, it's like, you didn't even save my life. I saved yours. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, the, like you led us into a dumb battle that didn't result in anything good. And because of that, I had to save your life. And then now one of my friends, I have to like back you up at all times because he doesn't like you at all. And yeah, you get yeah. the, you get why people don't respect John. And you, they don't like him. Yeah. And even from his perspective, at times, John can be seen almost like a tantrum throwing old man who wants his way and doesn't understand the way things operate. Yeah, and, and so for, for Jacques' perspective, it's like, oh, I, I'm this guy's friend. I respect him. I'm trying to look out for this dude. He's just so, he doesn't know what's good and he doesn't know how to act. He's out of touch. And he just keeps on shooting himself in the foot. So it's one of those things where uh, their, their view on each other is very interesting because that dynamic I've been this great friend of this guy, and he keeps on biting me in the ass. And then the other guy's like, I've been a great friend of this guy, but he's such a freaking idiot. And it's, <laughs> and it's how the world reacts to like their their views on each other is also interesting because you'll see how mm -hmm. their opinions on the other person affect the people around them in power and or like that have any say in this conflict. If you have Ben Affleck's character, Pierre, he gets most of his time in the second act. And it's one of those things where he... He doesn't like Jean, uh, Matt Damon's character, Jean, like at all. He's like, man, I hate this guy. He sucks. And so it, it makes sense going through the film. Like, okay, we get to see why this Pierre dude keeps on kicking Jean while he's down. Because he's like, yo, like, he didn't he didn't give the land away to Jacques to be malicious. But then you also find out that Jacques knew exactly what he was doing when he took that land away from uh, Jean's uh, father-in-law, but this is also when you get to see, like, we were the first time you get to see the the sexual assault and how he frames it. Because oh, dude, it is it is hard to watch or remember after you've seen chapter three. Yeah, it's so depicted as not. I don't want to say playful because it's pretty messed up to talk about sexual assault as playful, but because of his delusional mindset of you know and his obsession with Marguerite. It's almost like he views this whole thing as the way things are done when courting a woman who isn't in like immediately interested in your affection and attention. Yeah. The music is different. The scene is um, shot from different angles and perspectives. It's all just different after you experience chapter three and her point of view. Yeah, it was it was interesting uh, because there were small details in both that you can track. If you're like paying attention really hard to the to the scene, I think there's actually a video of the comparison between the two scenes. I didn't see it because I, I didn't want to watch it before this film. Oh, I can probably I can probably look that up and link it in the description of this eventual episode. Yeah. So we so it's like, hey, how do these uh, scenes differ? And there there's some there are certain parts where I was like, man, like you can really tell. There's like a lot of subtlety in regards to how lines are delivered and how facial expressions are made and all that stuff. But then there are some like more deliberate signals that like send different messages. For example, when she's like running up to the room, she in both she her shoes fall off. Right. But in Jacques perspective, she takes off the shoes 
and then starts running up the stairs in like a, oh, we're going to go do stuff. So I'm leaving my shoes off kind of way. Right. And in hers, it's like, no, I'm trying to get out of here. And my shoes fell off. When we get to that scene from her perspective, it becomes very intense and like ominous. He's um, Adam Driver's character. Jacques is almost depicted as this like beast of who's kind of just like preying on this person as he's bathed in like darkness. And he's shot from like a perspective where his eyes are constantly focused on her. And it's just kind of like he's following her around the halls and up the stairs, kind of like Michael Myers just stalking his prey. It's very upsetting and just, you know, see her like beg for him to stop and him refusing to acknowledge this and just continue. It's very sad and grim. Yeah, and, and you get to see things where like in his version of the, the events, she calls out to a maid that's not there and he's like oh look she's not there oh i know you're just doing this to like pretend that well, i'm not like you know that we're not going to do anything and at hers it's like no i am literally screaming for someone to find me for her it's like bloody like help someone anyone please help me i would love to see how people react to the stories if you showed them just separate perspectives like say someone watched only the first one only the second one and only the third one because obviously they're framed so differently and the way that the story is revealed is so deliberate that it's like okay knowing like have, having only watched the first part you would have been like oh this was a story about this tragedy of this man being wronged in so many different ways yada yada blah blah, blah. and had you only watched say Jodie Comer's character, Marguerite's side of the story, you're like, oh my God, like this woman was stalked, used by this like just ran, effectively random dude that she's had like three interactions with. Yeah, yeah. So like you're watching that perspective and he's like, oh, I love you. And she's like, and I, I, it would have been great if she would have like, yo, I've only seen you like one time, my dude. Yeah. <laughs> and not to mention, that, <laughs> yeah, that one, one time at a party that like, I barely remember. <laughs> well, they set the seeds where it's like she has a conversation with her friends and the people around her where it's like, oh, yeah, you know, he is attractive and, you know, he is cute and yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, he is, I guess. And then having that conversation come around and like bite her in the ass. Another level of like, Jesus Christ, can you not just say something offhand with it being used as political leverage at some point, especially by her best friend, which who betrays her and was just so sad to see that her her like sole confidant doesn't believe her and also actively tries to root against her. And it's just so sad for Marguerite's character, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things where again, you know, come we'll go back to like modern day times. This movie could probably be set in current times, but all you have to do is replace the count with a politician or Jean and Jacques and replace their characters with like politicians. Yeah, the the, the, the there's such a clear and easy one to one to be able to make this story in modern times that it's it's very it's, it's ultimately very upsetting. And again, that's why I started off very early with like, yo, we're too we're just too mid 20 dudes and so like 
our you know our authority on these kinds of topics is like you know like uh, you know like uh. yeah i mean i'm i i wouldn't hold it against anyone if they weren't interested in the opinion of two guys off a movie that central conflict is the sexual assault of a woman and how she's dehumanized by society around her yeah but i thought it was interesting they they, they made sure there was one point where jacques goes to church and i felt like the the religion aspect of it it's clearly a clear undertone because medieval society is just entirely fabricated around it or at least europe <laughs> yeah european middle middle age europe i mean middle age europe and you know christianity the crusades all of it are depicted in this movie as like the backdrop almost it's a part of the world and it's ingrained into their society and adam driver's character effectively just gets validation from the church that everything he did was fine because it's like oh well you dealt with this temptation and you know god wouldn't give you any temptation that wasn't you know that you wouldn't be able to deal with and so therefore if god wouldn't give you a temptation you couldn't handle and then you know this is how it turns out like it's you know it's fine it's ultimately you're okay because you know, god doesn't give you temptations you can't handle and because you were able to have sex with this woman then clearly you're good <laughs> you know what i'm saying like, yeah that was using... that was such a a, uh, a sad uh, almost humorous because of how absurd it is seen man it was a whole other thing to see that happen and then him to be like Oh, finally, this huge weight is off my chest. I feel so much better now, you know? It's like, what a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's terrible that I'm like, man, this just this. And also, like, the actions of him and Pierre, Ben Affleck's character, make me just think, like, these guys are just, like, frat guys. That's who, that's who they are. They're just, they're frat dudes doing what privileged, you know, rich white guys can do and try to get away with. And all that stuff. And I'm just like, man, I am so tired. <laughs> so tired of this. <laughs> yeah. I, when you think about all the real world issues that, you know, people have to deal with and how topical this movie is. This is why I was like, maybe this episode should have a uh, warning or disclaimer that, you know, we're going to be talking about sensitive subjects like sexual assault and violence because it's it's like, to me, movies are meant to be almost an escape, right? Escapism. So having a movie that centers and deals with issues that are still current and relevant could be a lot. I totally understand if you don't really want to deal with that or watch that and you just kind of want to decompress and watch something else, you know? But I, I still really like this movie. Yeah, no, I, I enjoy this movie. And my thing is with, with that statement, I think this is something that we could probably finish, wrap up around, is that this movie didn't do super well last year, right? Yeah, I heard. It has nothing. I don't. I don't think it has anything to do with the quality of the film, whether people liked it or yada yada blah blah. I hundred percent think it's you know the pandemic. People don't want to go to the movies. They're very particular with the movie they're going to go watch. They want to go watch a very particular type of movie and style of film. And what ultimately, you know, because obviously it's like, oh yeah, people don't want to watch movies. And I was like, okay, look, we just talked about Spider Man, and that made over a billion dollars. <laughs> but at the same time, we talked about Encanto, and that didn't do super well. Now we're talking about this movie, and it didn't do super well. Encanto, talk about a Cinderella-type story where it's doing, I think, way better now that some it's hit streaming and people are kind of, like, really engaged with it now, you know? 100%. Like, I was, like, I was talking about it the other day. I was like, man, I talked about this movie. Like, people were having complaints about it. And, you know, the, the little bits of murmurs that I've gotten from people who watched it before it got into streaming... 
And then as soon as it hit streaming, I was like, oh, never mind. It blew up. I should have not just went off the opinions of like the three people. <laughs> I mean, hey, you sometimes you movies that are called classics, right? Or just classics for certain people, right? You don't know they're going to be that way until they become that way, right? 100%. But so for this for this movie, right? Like they were talking about, oh, people don't want to go to the movies, yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. Which I think there's some truth to it. Like you said people. some people don't want to go watch movies that are like not escape form of escapism they don't want to deal with certain topics yada yada blah blah blah. but i would implore people and this is what i try to do i try to watch as many movies as possible because me too not just because we do this but because um i love movies and i try at the very minimum to get like a, at least a yearly average about one a week mm, yeah same uh i think i'm roughly around the same uh you know give or take a week but i want i want people to like watch as many movies as possible and i think that that mentality specifically kind of hurts film in general because Yes, Spider-Man is a blockbuster film, and there's a lot of merit to watching something like Spider-Man on screen and stuff like that. But this it's like saying, oh, the, the medium of film should only be limited towards escapism. And a, lot of, you know, a lot of people think that. They're like, I'm only going to spend my money on this stuff. And I was like, I don't watch, I don't read books just to read escapist books. Sometimes I want to read horror or tragedy or drama you know well just to expand on that briefly is is that escapism is so broad sometimes right that it's really hard to not understand someone wanting movies for them just to be escapism because escapism to me could be something completely different to someone else for example i love horror movies I count horror movies and horror media as a form of escapism, but that probably does not uh, gel with someone else who does not like horror movies even to begin with and usually avoids them for, you know, their own reasons, right? Yeah, I'm not going to I'm not going to say anything negative about people who are like, "Oh, you know, I just want to have a good time and I don't want to think about any of this stuff." And I understand that that's fine. But at the same time, I'm like there is something to be gained from watching movies that are doing a bunch of other things. So like people should, Hey, go out, watch things. That's why we talk about movies, talk about a bunch of different types of movies, because we want you guys to talk about everything and anything you can, because there's something there's, there's going to be something that people are going to like attach to when they're watching film. And it's interesting to have those conversations around what that is. Oh, for sure. And to speak more about like this movie not doing well in its initial release, right? This, if I remember right, this movie came out in the, the beginning of November of 2021. And there was a lot of interesting movies to be released in its initial box office run, right? So against other movies, it probably was going to lose out to a few other options that were in the you know theaters at the time. But I think this movie probably didn't draw that much attention initially because, I don't know, maybe people weren't that into watching a historical medieval drama at the time you know 100%. i don't know if historical medieval dramas really pull in a large audience like they might have in the past but i still really like this movie and i'm kind of glad i um ended up watching this movie at your choice you know yeah, no i think this movie was amongst the best ones of last year and i think i've heard people as it you know, has been released on streaming and people have had easier access to it that a lot of people are coming across and coming across it and being like oh wow this is actually this is a really solid movie man maybe i should have listened to ridley scum for 10 seconds uh, <laughs> well 
I, who knows? Maybe you can even say that, like, oh, hey, Adam Driver's in this movie. I bet it's probably going to be pretty good. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, but it's it's interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see people's discussions about this film once they actually get to watch it. Now that it's hit HBO Max, it's probably going to be a bigger uh, watch base for this film. Who right? knows? Yeah, because I mean, if it just went straight to DVD, it's like, oh, well, it's not really easy for me to watch. Like, I have to go out to a red box and I have to rent it myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, for me, the thing that would have kept me from watching this movie in theaters was it usually always comes on to the price of like a ticket. Like, um, if I'm going to go through a theater, it's because it's a movie either I'm dying to see or just going with a friend or some friends that are interested in watching a movie. It's hard to say that this would have been my first choice initially watching this in a theater. But this was great. I think I read there like a lot like an average number of movies people watch and theaters is about like four per year or something like that, which is insane. I can never think of doing only going to the movies four times per year. I died in 2020. So I think <laughs> oh, that's how much I watched in 2020 in theaters. But you know, understandably, no one should have went out. It's the pandemic. Please stay safe. Wear a mask. Get vaccinated. Get boosted. Um <laughs> <laughs> but no hard agree yeah um i mean it definitely makes sense if you think about it as a like family-based average versus like a single person average or a film goer film lover average right like I, I don't i don't blame a family of four or five not wanting to take the entire family to a theater where it's going to be almost a 200 dollar night out for all of them yeah right? you have to like find a babysitter or you have to like do a bunch of stuff it's, it's going to cost you like a, like yeah of course you're only going to go four times a year you're only going to watch spider-man sonic uh... <laughs> well i don't remember what else came out in 2021 so you know it's it's fine. Whatever movie they take them out to the theater, it's also cool. Yeah, just right? go to theaters, guys. Theaters great. I love theater. Theater experience is phenomenal. Watching it at home doesn't compare. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Just Pick Something podcast, and check out this movie on streaming. It's a great watch, and we didn't even discuss the last compelling fifteen minutes of the plot. So enjoy the last duel and that incredible fight scene at the end. The intro and outro song used in this podcast was VHS Dreams by Sean Ivers. Link in the description. Thank you for listening and until next time.